Welcome back to an all-new episode of Dirtcast. I am your co-host, Megan Reynolds, and this week, my other co-host, Madeline Davies, was unable to join me, so I have called in a few special guests. Later on in the episode, we will be talking to... I, we, excuse me, I will be talking to Jezebel Culture Editor Clover Hope about rom-coms, whether or not they are dead, Are they alive? Are they zombies? Do we like them? Do we hate them? But before I do that, I am going to talk to an old friend, former Jezebel senior editor, Joanna Rothkoff. Hey, bitch, I'm back. (laughs) (laughs) How I missed you. Um, (laughs) Joanna is filling in. Yeah, I'm I'm also surprised to be here since, (laughs) as I'm sure will become clear soon Mm. for the past two weeks, I've read basically nothing. Uh I mean, I've read like like novels. Oh my God, amazing. But basically nothing about the news. I've been on a detox. (laughs) So when Megan sent me the topics for today, I was like, oh, oh yes, (laughs) Megan Markle's sister. Like whom? <laughs> so what we're trying to say is that this edition of Dirtiest Dirt is going to be Megan explains to Joanna. <laughs> I have some strong opinions, but I don't have like the context, context of being online for like, like 10 hours a day. Right, like bathing in online. So you are currently unemployed, but I believe that is about to change. Yes. Um, I'm starting my new job at Esquire, where I'll be the deputy editor of of, dot, men. of the dot com and of, of the men. website. Yes, <laughs> I'm pivot. I'm pivoting from women to men. Um, <laughs> congratulations! I congratulations. I think you're going to be great. The point is that I'm like starting right now, wading back into mm. the pool. Right. And how is the pool? It's cool. I mean, there's so many words that I don't understand anymore. Great. That I'm sure I'll learn. <laughs> I mean, your the memory is a is a remarkable muscle. You'll get it back. Yeah. You'll get it back. Yeah. Well, with my intrepid guide, Joanna. No, you're my intrepid guide. I'm your with, stupid like with my compa- ward. untrained companion dog. <laughs> With my dog who keeps running into the brush, and I'm like, like, can you not? Who is, like, not prepared to be on a mountain today. (laughs) My dog who, like, really needs to take a nap. We are going. We're going to get right the fuck in to the dirtiest dirt. Pete Davidson and Ariana Grande remain my favorite celebrity couple. Here is an update about them because I feel compelled to update the listeners and myself about them at every turn. Pete deleted his Instagram, but he wrote a note on his Insta story to explain why he deleted his Instagram. I will read you the note. Okay. Okay. No, there's nothing wrong. No, nothing happened. No, there's nothing cryptic about anything. I just don't want to be on Instagram anymore or on any social media platform. The internet is an evil place and it doesn't make me feel good. Why should I spend any time on negative energy when my real life is fucking lit? 
The fact that I even have to say this proves my point. I love you all, and I'm sure I'll be back at some point. Smiley face. Honestly, I extremely relate to this note. It's the same note that I published in internal Jezebel Slack when I permanently signed up. It's, like, very real. It is very real. But there is a story behind it, right? Oh, there is. I know something that you don't. I know it, but I'm just going to let you okay, tell me. Cool. Okay, cool. Here. My, the dog I has know, come back to the I know trail. The, no, I mean just for the <laughs> easy okay. flat part. Give it to part. me. Give it to Here's me. Here's the story. Mm-hmm. Ready? Okay, Ready. so Pete and Ariana are very active on each other's Instagrams. They always comment. Like I find that to be just personally not like a super cute habit for couples to have. Same. Especially famous ones because then – I mean, those you're clearly doing it for performative reasons. Mm-hmm. I don't even like it when not famous people do it. Same. I mean, maybe I like it even less, but whatever. Okay, so he comments, comments, comments. Ariana posted a picture of her grandfather who had passed like four years ago. Yeah. It's a very nice picture. Mm-hmm. And Pete commented, OMG, what a cutie. And people are like, yo, this is <laughs> not the not time to comment on it. <laughs> how your fiancé is a cutie. But he was like, no, I was calling her grandpa a cutie. And that effectively sent him off an entire platform. It did. I just want to note one thing that I hadn't like fully thought about until the past couple days. Ariana Grande is 25, Mm -hmm. which is like, I don't know. I still sucked when I was 25. I still suck now, but like when I I was 25, definitely. Right. Pete Davidson is 24. Like these people are very— They're young. Young. They're still in their, like, I suck phase. Definitely. Picture having picture being famous and being engaged when you're 24. I feel very stressed out thinking about that. They, these people were born in 1993. I <laughs> was doing many things in 93. I was upright in 93. I was <laughs> certainly upright. I was, I was like, in social stuff. I don't know. Yeah. I'm 9,000 years old, so it's fine. It's, I birthed them. Just kidding. Yeah. These people are really living out a young adult kind of like melodramatic love that they'll look back on when Mm -hmm. they're like even 27 and 28 and be like, oh, my God. Oh, definitely. But it's so public. Good for Pete. Delete the Insta. That's how I feel. I mean, you could have deleted the Insta a lot earlier, in my opinion. Definitely. Because they are in this like a sort of fug of like – Young love hormones. They're also in still in their I suck phase. Ariana is very vocally for her tall man. Right. And she said, the energy you put out is exactly what you get back. Please create a beautiful life for yourselves. She tweeted that. But then she did a lot of other tweets being like, I'm taking a break for for now. I'm... I'll be back soon. Actually, probably I'm not taking a break from Mm -hmm. Twitter because Twitter is dope. But Mm -hmm. I was listening to the podcast Mm -hmm. with... Jezebel's Bobby Finger and Lindsay Weber mm. from The Weekly, and mm. they were talking about like micro standums mm. and also about how it's so much more important for musicians to stay active oh, totally. on Twitter. And that's why I feel like Ariana, I mean, Ariana cannot disengage from no. Twitter. It's like her entire fan, she has to, she has to like do fan service. like stoke service. the fire. Exactly. And, and Pete Davidson. <laughs> SNL cast members do not have to do Instagram <laughs> relationship fan service. No, Pete could have Pete could have cut off his Instagram like 
when he got on SNL, and it would have been totally fine. When he got on SNL? But yeah. nobody knew who he was before that. Yeah, but he didn't even, <laughs> I mean, but he didn't even need to have an Instagram yeah, in the first place. That's true. And as Ariana will occasionally remind you, not occasionally, frequently remind you, Sweetener, her album is out. I think I saw a tweet that said it's out in 25 days, which is insane because I, like, every Friday I'm like, it's here, right? It's here, right? Because it just seems like, I mean, she's doing a great job. She's doing a great job. I mean, she she hooked. I'm extremely aware of the coming of it. Yes, it's imminence. We'll see how long this lasts, I suppose. Right. I mean, if I never, I'm super happy for them. Mm -hmm. Same. But if I never have to see another picture of them holding hands and like walking out of a department store (laughs) with Ariana wearing like. A sweatshirt. Like vagina high boots mm-hmm. and a sweatshirt, mm-hmm. I will be happy. Yeah, I would. This is to say nothing of like whether or not I love them as a couple. It's just an in, that's an individual it's feeling. Just, it's just there's so many of those pictures. I don't need another. I'm sure there will be many of those as couples Halloween costumes. Yes, that's a great costume. <laughs> Ooh, wait, I want to be it. Can you? I mean, please. <laughs> I, I think that. that's a great idea. As I always end every segment about them, I hope they're happy. I hope they're happy because I do. Okay, so our girl, that's Lindsay Lohan to you, everyone. (laughs) She is going to be the Lisa Vanderpump of Greece because she is filming a reality show that is styled after Vanderpump Rules, but a cooler, hipper, edgier version. It's going to be about the beach club that she is apparently opening in Mykonos? No, she has a Mykonos club and she's opening a Rhodes club. And she's oh. licensed her name to an Athens club. One, thank you for clearing. I, that she's was, a mogul. She's a mogul. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I suppose given what is the last movie that Lindsay Lohan was in that you can think of? The Liz Taylor biopic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, uh-huh. I was thinking, what's the one? Wasn't she in like a movie that was based on a Bret Easton Ellis? novel or something, and it was really bad, and there was that New York Times magazine story about it. Am I making this The up? Canyons. The Canyons. Is that it? Is yeah, that what you're talking it. about? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that. Right. And then she was also obviously in Liz and Dick. Obviously. And then before that, I think. Mean, mean Girls. <laughs> so her career has been at a place for some time. I personally think that she's going to be a great reality TV show cast member. Yeah, I mean, so Lindsay, I feel like, has done some questionable geopolitical things. Oh, yes, right? true. She true, true. consorts with the Turkish government, she right? Does. She, she does. was, like, big with, like, Erdogan, right? <laughs> yeah, she was. <laughs> and, no, like, defending, yeah. right? Um, yeah. So All she does those correct. things. But she other does. than that, I think this is kind of an ideal scenario for somebody who's who is, like, a mega child star, mm-hmm. had kind of, like, a flame out, yeah. a public flame out. Yes, extended. And now is trying to build the life for herself. Mm-hmm. I think this is probably the uh, the only other thing that she has done in recent memory, aside from all those geopolitical issues that you just mentioned, <laughs> is that she was briefly the spokesperson for Law.com. Lawyer.com. Lawyer.com? <laughs> I think so. I think you're right. I mean, that was really important, too. I forgot about that. Was, that was, I mean, yeah, an iconic. Yeah, it's Lawyer.com. It's a law, and right, and she, so she filmed like a weird commercial for them, there is a behind the scenes of her. If you go to lawyer.com, mm. it's just a picture of Lindsay. Really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> she also looks, I mean, 
great. In this picture, she looks great. She seems to be, I mean, she seems to be getting her life together. Mm -hmm. I will 100% watch this show. Oh, totally. I'm very excited. I can't wait. Here is something that makes me perpetually kind of bummed out. I guess we're getting to like the sad portion yeah. of this, of these proceedings. Meghan Markle is having many a family drama, but now that she is the freaking Duchess of Sussex or whatever, she, uh, we, her family drama is everywhere. Let me just say before Please. we really get into it, yeah. it is my biggest fear that if I ever become a duchess, like I'm going to have family members coming out of the woodwork 100%. to give interviews. That's probably why I'm going to like decline. Interviews or being a duchess? Being a duchess. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Can you explain to me who Samantha Grant is? Because I've oh, heard God. this name a million mm-hmm. times. I've definitely seen this face a million times. Okay. I don't get, honestly, I mean, I get that like people are crazy about royalty. Right. And so anybody who has any connection to a royal is going to get coverage. And I guess also that this Samantha Grant drama is like so ridiculous and mm-hmm. fun to follow. Mm-hmm. But I don't get why people are giving her so many interviews. Like what's happening? And also, okay, so okay. I do want you to explain this to me. But so she's on Celebrity Big Brother. In the UK. In the UK. Mm-hmm. How is she a celebrity? Okay. So she is Meghan Markle's estranged half-sister. She's like, I want to say like 10 to 20 years older than Meghan Markle. They never really spent any time together. She, I believe it was last summer, was supposed to be writing like a tell-all memoir called like The Diary of Princess Pushy or something. And it was about Meghan. She has been a pill, which is the nicest way I can think about it. But to answer your question about how is she a celebrity, it's just adjacency to the palace, I suppose. I also think she looks like Kim Cattrall. Like a kind (laughs) of like— Kind of offensive to both of them. Sure. But I'm just (laughs) going to put it out there anyway. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you for your time. The British press loves gossip, and they love anything about the royals, obviously. So she is just— I think she's just very much an opportunist. She's delivering. She's delivering on every... She's hitting all of her marks. She's nailed all of the things, and she's going to continue. And people love this shit. Here's a tweet she did. Please. Wait, okay. So now her name is Samantha Grant, but... So Grant is, I think, um, she's either married or used to be married, but Thomas Markle, Meghan Markle's father, is her dad. So her Twitter name is Sammy Markle 64. Mm. So in response to a Daily Mail article, mm. ugh, I love this. I love the idea of screaming at your sister, like adding the palace. Yes. Because yes. your sister doesn't have Twitter. She, like, can't, and screaming about access. a Daily Mail article. It's an incredible thing. Oh my Okay. So she said, How about you pay tribute to your own father? Enough is enough. Act like a humanitarian. Act like a woman. If our father dies, I'm holding you responsible, Meg. That is and then Crazy. glad you have so much time to gallivant around paying tribute to others while ignoring your own father. How cold can you be and look in the mirror? Harry, I guess I was right. I think what is happening here is that like 
last week, Meghan Markle's dad, Thomas, gave a, but did some press and was basically like, very sort of like, she never reaches out to me, like, blah, blah, blah. Like, it seems like she's faking it, like faking being happy, being a princess, but she really seems like she's miserable. And he also had that heart attack before the wedding. I have to say, Mm -hmm. like, I love Sammy Grant, Sammy Markle, and 64. Mis- 64 and Mr. Markle for getting theirs in terms of press coverage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But people who say, oh, my daughter, the Duchess is not yeah. there for me on TV, I feel like it's hard to be like, you know, they're probably right. There was a thing that I read, I think, in Us Weekly, like, last week that was said, you know, Megan is having a hard time adjusting to the palace rules. And the palace rules are many. They're, you know, she can't, can't wear... Oh, sh- I've seen the crown. I know how hard... We Please. all know we how do. hard it is I to forgot. adjust to the palace I rules. <laughs> I I'm forgot. just saying, I feel for her. The palace rules are very hard no, to they're adjust hell. to. She can't, because she can't make a statement publicly. She can't be on Twitter. She has to wear stockings instead of bare legs. There are, like, weird rules about pantsuits. I saw some fucking thing today where Prince Harry was, where it was like Prince Harry told Meghan she couldn't wear like a tuxedo suit to some event. So while that is, I would say that is like pretty low on the list of things she is stressed (laughs) out about, it's just giving you an idea of the breadth. Of course. Every one of your actions is monitored. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, it's like you want to go to walk to the corner by yourself and like, have a have a Java. Yeah. She can't do that. She can't have a Java. And Just even the most basic of dignities. She's <laughs> like having a Java. I mean, she she chose to marry Harry. It's a gift and it's a curse. It and is. it's a dream and a nightmare. And like most of life. Like most of life. That's why it's better, nobody realizes it, but it's better to stay just below the radar. Mm-hmm. It's better to stay just below the radar, but be super rich. Yes, because the, the key <laughs> the ideal, key thing in I here <laughs> is like, yeah, for someone to be like, who's that again? And you're like, oh, it's maybe one person out of 47 knows. Here's all that I want. This okay. is my dream. Okay. It wasn't Megan's, but like respect to Megan. Yes. My dream is to be super beautiful and super rich, but like just below the radar. That's a great dream. <laughs> That's a great dream. Mine is to just like have some money. And then the rest of it, I don't know. We'll see. Like, it's fine. In any case... I feel bad for some people involved in this. We're just going to see stories about this um, forever until they either get divorced or who knows. But it's just— They can't get divorced. I mean, they 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 technically can can can. now, but— Yeah. I mean, they won't. I I don't don't think they they will. But if they do, you better believe Sammy Grant 64, (laughs) Sammy Markle 64 is going to be on— Everywhere, everywhere. We'll see her. Yeah, like please don't get divorced, so Sammy Grant, Sammy Markle can not, can not. Yeah, Yeah, we just need her to not (laughs) anymore. That's reason enough to stay in a marriage. I agree. I have a brief bad man update. This first bad man I had not heard of, probably because I don't pay attention to who directs the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise. Although I did (laughs) very much enjoy the first one. Those are auteur works. So I don't okay. know how you could not. <laughs> Thanks, Joanna. James Gunn is the was the director of Guardians of the Galaxy 3. He has since been fired from his role because he 
tweeted some bad things about, quote, rape and pedophilia in 2009. The tweets were resurfaced because apparently conservative trolls on the internet were mad at him for shit that he said against our president. Well, it was part of like a like a bigger it was like, like a campaign, right? Campaign, yeah, right. So that sucks. The moral of the story is literally never tweet, and also don't say things about rape and pedophilia on Twitter or anywhere. I mean, I definitely have tweets that I need to delete, but none of them. <laughs> would get me fired like None this. of them are of this caliber. <laughs> yeah, they're just humiliating. Yeah, they're, they're just not like, ugh. <laughs> horrible. Right. They wouldn't, like, lose you a job. I mean, one Maybe hopes. for lameness. Maybe for charges of being utterly lame. <laughs> but, Someone so. just slides a printout of, like, five tweets to you, yeah, and they're like, and I'll be listen. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I'm so sorry. I, I I'll quit. get my stuff. <laughs> I have to go. Just mail, just messenger I my understand. things. I'm leaving. It's not a big deal. <laughs> Say no more. <laughs> And then this, ugh, I don't want to spend too much time on this, so I will just say it so we acknowledge it, and then I will put it to bed. R. Kelly released a 19-minute song on his Instagram story called I Admit, the lyrics of which lead me to believe that it was meant to be a confession. I have not listened to it, but I read the lyrics. They're about his own sexual abuse as a child, how he feels he's being set up in the press, and how... The allegations against him of sexual misconduct, et cetera, are false. Honestly, I feel like enough of this segment is just R. Kelly and 19-minute song. Like, we get the picture. Yeah, that's all you need to know. That's all I have. I feel like I've said a hundred times as many words as I've said in the past week. How does that feel? It feels like scratchy. You're getting back (laughs) in it, though. You're, like, learning how to talk again. It's like the dog is, like, back on the trail. We got you, like, some water. We took a break. And now, like, we were over. Like, those gnarly switchbacks are behind us, and it's just flat from here on out. That's nice. We're going to make it to the Alpine hut over there in the distance. (laughs) That is quite enough from both of us, I think, Joanna. I agree. This has been... A pleasure, as always. It's been a pleasure for me. Thank you for joining me, and best of luck in your new job. (laughs) I mean that with sincerity, even though it didn't sound like it. I'm so happy to be sitting here with Clover Hope, culture editor at Jezebel. Hello. Hello. Again, it's me. (laughs) (laughs) We are going to be talking about romantic comedies, specifically the history of them, the resurgence, our favorites, the ones we don't like, the ones we love. And I brought Clover in because she is very smart and wonderful and also because I feel like she has a lot of knowledge or an affinity for this particular genre. I do. I <laughs> love bad and good rom-coms, and I actually like the cheesiness of them. Mm-hmm. I enjoy just, like, watching how different types of people experience love. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also ironic that the genre itself, like rom-coms, reflect how love is because it's, like, 
the genre itself is like messy and like right. sometimes formulaic, and then it's also like stupid <laughs> a lot, <laughs> infuriating um, at times. Right, exactly. But right. the point is that it's two human beings coming together. So one of the things that has been, I think, bandied about in the past like decade ish is that. There was, like, a golden age of rom-coms in the 80s and 90s with, like, When Harry Met Sally. And it's not because I'm lonely, and it's not because it's New Year's Eve. I came here tonight because when you realize you want to spend the rest of your life with somebody, you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. You've got mail. Shop girl. Don't cry. And the dreams <laughs> that you I wanted it to be you. I wanted it to be you so badly. Many others. I'm also just a girl. Standing in front of a boy. Asking him to love her. You? Complete me. I love just... Shut up. Just shut up. You had me at hello. I like you very much. Uh, apart from the smoking and the drinking and the vulgar mother and the verbal diarrhea. No, I like you very much, just as you are. So what happened after he climbed up the tower and rescued her? She rescues him right back. And then they sort of petered off, and now they're kind of back. Yeah, the death of rom-coms kind of like, I kind of think of how people are consuming horror now. Mm. And like people are saying like, the horror film genre is back. Yeah. You know, it's not necessarily that it's dead. It's just not in the form that you're used to. Right. So I think what people may have meant by saying like it's dead is Mm. like, oh, this isn't the formula or like the way that I'm used to like seeing a rom-com, like the 90s rom-coms. Right. Yeah, because I think there was a time when they started becoming, like, self-aware. <laughs> I feel like some later rom-coms got to a point where they felt sort of algorithmic, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Like, we were talking before we started recording, we were talking about the Netflix rom-com Set It Up. Right. <laughs> which stars Tay Diggs and Lucy Liu and someone named Zoe Deutsch. And then who is the man? The, right. the other I assistant ju- guy. Literally, when I was watching it, I was like, I know this person's Me too. face, but I don't know his name. So there's yeah. a man that yeah. is Some the— man. Yeah, he's Tay Diggs' assistant. Zoe Deutsch is Lucy Liu's assistant. Their lives are hell from what I could— I mean, I will be completely honest. I told Clover that I couldn't finish it. I did. (laughs) They both basically have, like, horrible bosses in some way, and so they connect on that level, and then they're trying to, like, set their bosses up because they sense some kind of potential chemistry between them. Right, and it also will alleviate their, like, workplace misery. I watched about an hour of it, which I think is very impressive for my personal attention span. And the one thing that struck me the most was, you know, in the beginning, that montage of, like, all of these assistants, like life is hell, like phones ringing, <laughs> coffee. Right, right. Jessica, the phones. Jonathan, cancel my 10 o'clock. Connor, get in here. Connor, bring me my lunch. What's my password? Rachel, where were you? Like that just felt so classic. I was just like, oh, I know exactly what I'm getting into. Yes. 
I feel great about this. Right, yeah. They kind of like took the formula of the rom-com and were kind of like, all right, we're not going to shy away from this. Like this yeah. is the setup. <laughs> right. So we're going to, you know, like work within that framework. And that's kind of what you have to do with genres like this. Like, mm-hmm. there are genres for a reason. Like, mm-hmm. there's certain qualities of a horror movie that if it's not in there, it doesn't really count as a horror movie. So, right. um, a rom-com just has, like, certain elements. Like, it is just a story about two people who somehow fall in love, but then you have, like, the tropes, like, the meet-cute, mm-hmm. and then, like, you know, um, the montage mm-hmm. and, like, um, the chase scene at the end where somehow one person has to get the other one oh, back. Yeah. <laughs> And they end up, like, running really quickly towards something. Right. (laughs) So. (laughs) There's nothing like a good, like, a sprint in heels towards, like, the top of the Empire State Building or, like, whatever. I mean, that's always, it's always nice. Set it up from what I watched of it. And, again, I apologize for not finishing it, but it will happen. The beauty of Netflix, as you said, (laughs) is that you can put it down and do literally anything else. And this was the type that I felt like you could do that and mm-hmm. be fine, you know, look away a few times and yeah, just, oh, totally. you know, come back and be like, okay, I get what's yeah. happening. I could, like, you know. go to the bathroom yeah. or, like, go get some water and come back and be like, ah, oh, yes, they've proceeded to, like, this part of what I expected. Right. It was just, like, refreshing to see because I can't remember the last sort of true rom-com that I saw in theaters that was, like, a discrete unit. Did you see The Big Sick? I did see—oh, you're right. Wow. Cool. I just completely blacked out in 2017. I did see The Big Sick. Does that count for you? I think so. Um, That and I think uh, as far as like recent years, Beyond the Lights for me— um, oh, I haven't seen which that I saw yet. in theaters. Um, it's really great. It's Gina Prince Bithwood, I think, the director of Love yes. and Basketball. Yeah, yeah. She directed the movie and it stars, unfortunately, Nate Parker. And, oh, right. Um, so this was like before that controversy. Sure. But um, yeah, The Big Sick, I think, counts. Um, you know, it's about two people falling in love in some way or whatever. And this one, I think, because it also highlighted like them being of two different backgrounds, mm-hmm. like it wasn't like strictly about like relationship or love so right. that added to it but I do think it still counts as rom-com I mean I think that one if we're gonna like if we're gonna split the genre into like different subcategories like that's definitely like an indie one those are trickier in it like they're like sneakier in a way because yeah. you're like oh I'm just gonna watch this like cute indie movie with blah 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 and you think you're expecting something else and then you go into it and you watch it and you're like, oh, like, I'm crying. <laughs> like, oh, shit. Right. <laughs> oh, no. I wasn't expecting this. Right. And it's like, they gotcha. Interesting to note is that I think there's a lot of rom-coms coming up that have been labeled as rom-coms but aren't necessarily as or traditional. As traditional. Yeah. Like, um, I would love to talk about Little Italy. Oh my Which God. is yeah. probably going to be my favorite movie of 2018. Yeah, that trailer. <laughs> my father would consider this the highest form of treason. What's that, the pizza or us being together? Both. It's kind of complicated. It's Emma Roberts and Hayden Christensen, someone I have not thought about in like a decade. They are the son and daughter, respectively, of, like, warring Italian pizza-making families. I mean, everything, I guess, has been done, so people have to, like— They really have really, to dig deep. <laughs> like, <laughs> grasp at straws for these <laughs> stories. I guess it's, like, Romeo and Juliet, mm. but, like, pizza or something. <laughs> I don't know. 
A movie that I've never <laughs> wanted to see more is Romeo and Juliet, but with pizza. I think we should talk specifically about Judd Apatow, mm. um, unfortunately. I'm thinking specifically of Knocked Up. Yeah, I did like that movie. I did also enjoy um, that movie. Yeah, and there, he brought back kind of like the young adults coming of age yeah. movie that also incorporated relationships. And Knocked Up was probably, yeah, out of his movies, that is the one that's like most rom-com. Yeah, I mean, The 40-Year-Old Virgin, I don't oh, right, yeah. is sort of— I would count that. Like yeah. an off-kilter sort of rom-com. And both kind of like ideas, they're starting with one very specific— thing about a person, like right. moment or... Um, like a premise. Kind of like one very specific premise. I feel like that's a little bit different from mm-hmm. the 90s movies where it was more about falling in love, like falling right. in love, like finding the person. Right. Like the meet cute. I guess like it evolved to become a little more situational instead of trying to kind of be like, all right, here's two people and how do, how we do get they them meet together? each other? Right, exactly. Right. Because yeah. I mean, I think the thing that really distinguishes what you were saying is like the earlier ones are more about happenstance. Right, right, right. Which is slightly more like traditionally romantic. Like there are so many people in the world and then these two people Just happen to meet happen and, yeah. to meet and blah, blah, blah. And now they're in love forever and, you know, divorce doesn't exist. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if like it's cynical necessarily. Like the premise of Knocked right. Up is like yeah, I think cynical. There's a little more cynicism. Yeah. I just like kind of just seeing different types of setups. Yeah. I think I enjoy more so the ones that are slightly more, I guess, the ones that are more <laughs> cynical. It's not surprising. Um, but I will say, when I was looking at this list, um, have you heard of or seen, I'm sure you have, Forget Paris? No, I haven't. Oh my seen God. That. Is that. Uh, it's a like really, old school. <laughs> I, for some reason, I was really obsessed with it. Like in oh god, let me think. Probably like in middle school. Okay. It's Deborah Winger and Billy Crystal. <laughs> oh, of course, Billy Crystal. Yeah, <laughs> he is a a referee for the NBA. I may have seen this. Right, and that sounds familiar. Yes. Yeah, so he's a referee for. So there's a lot of basketball players in it. He's always on the road, their relationship. It's like told backwards. There's a scene in which Deborah Winger gets a pigeon stuck in her hair. She puts the bird in a box, gets in the car. And heads for the vet. The bird's very nervous. Who wouldn't be? She takes off. She's driving along. She hits a huge pothole. The bird flies up into the air and sticks to her hand. You're a liar! (laughs) (laughs) That was part of the sort of late 90s, like, resurgence where they were really just, like, pumping him out. Like, yeah, forget yeah. there was Forget Paris. There was French Kiss with Meg Ryan and Kevin Klein. I remember that, yeah. There's, like, While You Were Sleeping, Jerry Maguire chasing Amy, My Best Friend's Wedding, a fucking classic. I love that movie. Yeah, you've Got Mail. I've never seen You've Got Mail. You've Got Mail is great. Classic. I've never seen it. Um, there's something about Mary. Yeah. I guess yeah. That, that counts. That counts, yeah. Um, the Wedding Singer... Notting Hill. I don't think I've seen that. Really? Oh, Notting Hill's good. I mean, it's like Hugh Grant and Julia Roberts. Right. Julia Roberts was in a lot of these. Yes, yes. (laughs) Meg Ryan. Yes. I think Tom Hanks. Yes. um, Billy Crystal. Yes. And maybe like with the death also, the rom-coms weren't as much of like a star vehicle for Mm -hmm. like big actors. Right. You know, started being more like, you know, blockbusters action or like, you know. Oscar dramas, whereas uh, maybe during that era, like, you actually had, like, these big stars who were leading a rom-com and right. getting people into theaters. And now it's more, you know, still 
A-list, but not like the top elite, right. so to speak, um, actors. Like, would Brad Pitt be in a rom-com now? No. You know, unless it was something with a, I don't know, like a wild idea. I think something that's interesting to think about also is how you were saying earlier that horror, like horror is having some sort of like, it's having a resurgence that's being thought of as more like prestige, which is something that we've talked about on this very podcast with movies like Hereditary, Get Out, etc. Do you think that there will ever be an era where there are like prestige rom-coms or does the genre just not allow for that kind of like... Right. That think, categorization. Yeah, I think by nature and because of how Hollywood is set yeah. up, it doesn't allow for it. I'm trying to recall any that were even like in like an Oscar conversation yeah. or anything. Well, the big sick, I think, right? Right, yeah. Maybe if, you know, HBO and um, some of these, uh, you know, like the so-called prestige networks, mm-hmm. if they were to do more, uh, like release more rom-coms mm-hmm. or um, maybe that could happen. But yeah, I can't really see it as I see it with horror. Yeah. It's kind of like the format, you know, people look at these movies as like trash sometimes or, yeah. you know, like more soap opera-esque. Right. So. The only traditional rom-coms that have been considered Oscar-worthy are the works of Woody Allen Right, and there is a certain, like, cinematic, artistic There's, like, a sheen to it, yeah. yeah. That's given to him and his movies, when there are other people who are making movies like that. Of course, uh, 100%. I yeah. mean, Woody, whatever, he's a bad man. We've already discussed how bad yeah. he is numerous times. I, I personally feel like Love and Basketball should have won an Oscar, but that's just me. So <laughs> let's talk, tell me, of, I've never seen Love and Basketball. It's so good. So please give me— It's my, one of my favorite rom-coms, one of my—I always name it as, like, my favorite movie of mm-hmm. all time. Because that sometimes incites rage from, nice. like, movie people. <laughs> Perfect. Nothing um, better. Because it's like a rom-com. You want to be my girl? What do I have to do? I guess we can play ball and ride to school together. When you get mad at me, I got to give you flowers. But I don't like flowers. Oh. Yeah, so that and, like, Love Jones, mm-hmm. um, you know, these black movies from the 90s. The best um, man. The best man. It's incredible. I can um, love the best man. Even the like, Inkwell? Uh, I didn't see that. It's good. Um, isn't uh, Jada? Is Jada Pinkett in that? She is. Yeah, Jada Pinkett's in a few, um, like The Wood. That's um, also an excellent movie. Yeah, there are you know like these are just like classic rom coms um, that all kind around of don't the same really, time period yeah, too. The same time. That don't really get into like the top rom coms of all time right. conversation. Right. But. They are definitely classics. I feel like more white people started taking notice when The Best Man Holiday came out. Oh, the sequel. The sequel. Yes. Um, I also think Hitch, like Will Smith in that. Yes. Him being like this large, larger than life movie star Mm -hmm. who had been in, you know, these like mainstream blockbusters Mm -hmm. helped kind of, um, not helped, but like, you know, he, him being like the star of a rom-com which I loved. It's like also one of my favorite rom coms. I've never um, seen Hitch either. Yeah. I hear it's ex- I hear it's excellent. <laughs> yeah, it's also a good like self aware rom com. Oh, nice. Um, That's rare. Yeah, like him being in that um, probably helped with people seeing like, oh, there are like black people who can be in <laughs> romantic comedies and like it can be like a you know 
prominent movie or whatever. But yeah, I definitely recommend if you're a white listener <laughs> to go back and just watch these movies. They're as good, if not better, in mm-hmm. my opinion, mm-hmm. than some of the um, ones starring, you know, just like all white people. Right. think of the teen rom-coms that also came out in this specific era, 10 Things I Hate About You, yeah, Can't Hardly one. Wait is yeah, yeah. a combo, um, like high school movie slash romantic the one with comedy. Freddie Prince. She's uh, all that. Right, yes. A cla- really that. a fucked up and classic, <laughs> a classic film. I mean, those were all really good, not only as romantic comedies, but just as films because I think the nature of like teen hormones and love lends itself so well to the genre. I know that it's very silly to want fiction or art to be realistic in any way, shape, or form, but I often find myself (laughs) getting very annoyed when, like, something is so out, like, I'm like, this would never happen. That's very dumb of me as a viewer. Yes, no, but that does take you out of it sometimes. But I think in the context of, like, a teen high school drama or romantic comedy, it all makes sense because teenagers in love are crazy (laughs) in a very charming and specific way. So that, like, I think for me, that's why those work so well. Like, I still maintain 10 Things I Hate About You. It's like, it's probably one of my top five favorite movies. Yeah, that's one of my top. I love that movie so much. You're just too good to be true. Can't take my eyes off of you. You guys saw it in theaters at least twice. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, it's a cool thing to own up to for me. So there have been a lot of movies out recently that I think sort of feel like a romantic comedy. Like they've got the same sort of bubbly energy and they're sort of formulaic and that you can like, you're like, oh, okay, I sort of know where this is going, but they're just a little bit different. I'm thinking like Girls Trip, oh, Bridesmaids, right. and Trainwreck. Right, 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 yeah. Would those count, do you think? I wouldn't put them in the rom-com category. Not even Trainwreck? Although they, maybe Trainwreck, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Trainwreck, definitely. Because it is, yeah, about her trying to kind of like, she's like stumbling through relationships and dating or whatever. Girls Trip and Bridesmaids are more about like the friendship, uh, the relationship between the friends Mm -hmm. and like the women in the movies. Um. So I kind of, yeah, I would put that more in, like, the just comedy. They have, like, romantic elements. Like, the rom-com, like, within it. Like, you know, Kristen Wiig, right, and and Chris, whatever oh, his fuck. name is. Chris, uh, he's a uh, tall Irish man named Chris. <laughs> Chris O'Dowd! Oh, I love him. I think um, he's charming. But, yeah, so their, you know, relationship within that, and like, the whole John Hamm relationship. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think those are more, like, buddy comedies. Yeah. Also, I think that... What I have noticed personally is that as rom-coms started sort of losing prevalence in, like, in Hollywood, it moved to TV. Oh, yeah. Right, So, like, the Mindy Project. You have an idea of how your life is going to turn out. When I was a kid, all I did was watch romantic comedies in our living room while I did my homework. I'll have a cheese having. Oh, that's coffee or 
you know, drinks. In high school, dinner. Tom Hanks was my first boyfriend. For as long as we both shall live. In college, everything changed. No supervision, total freedom. I could watch romantic comedies whenever I wanted to. I think that's very much. Yeah, that, like, a Master rom-com. of None. Um, oh, yeah, Master series, of None. To me, is very, um, especially the second season, very rom com y. Mm-hmm. I think New Girl sort of flirts with the rom-com tropes. Right. I mean, because the thing about a rom-com is that it's a tidy and it's a tight sort of narrative. So, like, in order to expand that over however many seasons of television takes a lot of, like, manipulation. And then also you just, you physically cannot, you you, you would lose viewers rapidly mm-hmm. if you just stuck to, like, that narrative. So you obviously have to have, like, side stories and stuff. Right, right. But I think, like, New Girl counts... Have you seen Crazy Ex-Girlfriend? No, no. Um, it's, it's, it. I think it's okay that it's ending soon. <laughs> I really like the first season right. and the second season. It started to like dip a little for me, but that is, that would be an excellent movie. Right. TV series and like Netflix kind of like low budget movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I've watched a lot of low budget Netflix movies. What are some good ones on Netflix that you've watched? Um, They're not good. Um, Okay, just some things. (laughs) Like I watched. Basically, like there are a lot of like black rom coms on Netflix Mm -hmm. that are shot low budget. Um, You'll see like Marcus Houston in a few of them. Hello, I haven't thought about him in years. Like basically, people you haven't seen in forever. Like Roger, Uh, for example. (laughs) Roger, or like you know. Black actors who were in, like, some series, you know, like, on TV or something, Mm -hmm. and now they're doing, like, these movies that Mm -hmm. are straight to Netflix. Netflix has maybe, like, picked up some of the straight-to-DVD content. Oh, interesting. Um, These things would just have gone to Just, like, fizzled. Right, Right, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I've seen them as—I can picture them them as I'm, like, poking around. I'm always like, what is this? And now I get recommended them because I've watched so many of them. Nice. There was one— I think it was called like Seas Four Seasons or something oh, I've like seen that. This. Oh no, no, I can see it. And the guy dates a different woman every season. Sure, it's the guy who was in Dreamgirls. He was he was in Dreamgirls oh. as um, I think one of the singers um, or backup singer. Yeah, something. yeah, and yeah. So he's like dating a different woman nice. every season, and then he ends up picking the one who. He dated in the beginning. Mm, so. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Cool it's for things everyone. Things like that. Like, it's really, like, not great quality. <laughs> My last question is your top three favorite rom-coms. As of- Love and Basketball is definitely right. first, but that's also, like, coming of age. I really, really liked Crazy Stupid Love with Ryan Gosling, Steve Carell, and basically, like, Ryan is helping Steve's character date. Oh, yes. And it's just, like, fun and stupid and, like, you know, charming. Mm-hmm. And let me think about the third one. <laughs> okay, I'll do my three. I think I have them. I think it is 10 Things I Hate About You. Of course. I really do, unfortunately, think it is Forget Paris. That movie, I feel like five people saw it. But it is really, <laughs> it is really stuck with me. It's so funny. <laughs> So stupid. The way my mind works is really not not normal. And then, fuck, the elusive third is like... I mean, I would put Love Jones. Um, mm-hmm. so I've watched that like a million times and love it. Also, 500 Days of Summer is like in contention. Oh, that's a good um, one. Yeah. That is like, a good one. It was That was also like a good concept. It 
wasn't necessarily like a happy ending. No. <laughs> and it was like realistic to me. Um, but still had like a good conceit and like a good um, mm-hmm. still followed the formula. I think my third is Bridget Jones's Diary because I love that movie. I could watch that movie. It's a tie between that and Notting Hill because I could watch either of those movies like any time of day and feel happy about it. Yeah. I feel like I've made a, a decent decision for like two hours of my <laughs> life. Clover, this has been a lovely conversation. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thank you so much for listening to Dirtcast and thank you to Clover Hope. This episode was produced by Rachel Withers and was mixed by Jamie Colazzo. Madana Mofidi is our executive director of audio. Our theme music is by Stuart Wood. If you want to send us a tip or just let us know what you think, hit us up at dirtcast at jezebel.com. You can find us on Spotify, NPR One, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts.